Patrick Hoots from the Carlton Footy Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Dane Zorko here from the Brisbane Lions. Jason Johannesson from the Western Bulldogs. Luke Parker here from the Sydney Swans. It's Roy Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Two players are away in the 50 most relevant for 2020. They are Blake Akers and Tom Duday. Two guys that you could build a pretty strong case are being severely underpriced what they have done. And today we get another guy that could present some value for us if certain things go his way. And that is why Dan Houston finds himself at number 48 on the 50 most relevant. At a chat, all things Dan Houston. I got Rids. Hello, mate. How are you? Hey, how you going, MJ? I'm good, man. Look, he's an interesting one. We'll get into some of the data and some of the trends and how everything went, you know, really well for him and right for him at the back end of the year, but right really off the top of the the gap with Dan Houston. There's a lot of potential because we saw some tons and big ones at the back end of the year. We don't want to get too negative too early, but he needs a lot to go right to give you the confidence to start him at round one. I could see the attraction. I really can. I know that there's a lot of people looking at this guy. So he's that 100, 150,000 cheaper than the top echelon of the premiums. Mm. And the reality is, if he gets the right role, he could easily take his average close enough to them, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's true. Well, you speak of his average last year. Uh, it was 89.2 in Supercoach. His best score last year was against the Bombers. That was a 134 in that format, while an 80.3 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. Uh, 123 in that same game was his best score in that format. He is 22. He does retain that defensive eligibility. There was some thought amongst the community he might get DPP and be a defensive mid, but no champion data have locked him in just as that pure defender. He's going to set you just around about 580,000 or so in Dream Team and then about 100k cheaper in Supercoach. But it's been a number of years now that Dan Houston's been on the Port Adelaide list. Uh, originally, the Oakley Chargers co-captain was picked up as really a medium-sized forward target um, off that rookie list. But really, what they loved about him was his clean hands and his reliability at a set shot goal. Really, once he got into the club, though, they kind of repurposed him and developed him as a half-back flanker for the club. As a cash cow, back in 2017, he was a pretty handy option for us, Rids. In AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, he averaged 70 and 67 in Supercoach. But probably between his debut year in terms of when he broke into the AFL side as a cash cow, up until the back half of last year, there wasn't a lot of relevance from Dan Houston for us to talk about. No, nah, 100%. It was only that late move, wasn't it, really? Yeah, there, there was and we'll, there was five to six games last year where things drastically changed. And the reason was, in round 14, Ken Hinckley and the coaching staff decided to play a lockdown role on Geelong Cat, now West Coast Eagle, Tim Kelly. And he, look, he did a pretty good job on Kelly too. He kept Kelly to 17 disposals and who went at 52% efficiency that night. The power went on to win by 11 points. And in that match, from a fantasy footy perspective, Houston had 25 possessions. 11 of them were contested. He won five clearances, got six inside 50s, scored 89 in AFL Fantasy Dream Team and won 10 in Supercoach. Then over the final five rounds of the year, 
that's when he really had that key midfield role, not just as a bit player. And that's where we sorted to see the scores flow. In that five-game stretch in Supercoach, three tons. One of them was a PB at 134. He averaged 105 in that period. And then for Dream Team and Fantasy, during the same stretch of games, he scored 100 or more in three matches and didn't drop below 89 and averaged 103. So look, it's a small sample size. It's seven games that I tracked him playing through the midfield. There was one game he played tagging Bontempelli and did not score well. But of the seven games I tracked him playing as a midfielder, he averaged 99 in Supercoach and 93 in AFL Fantasy. It's around about 10 points growth on what we're going to be paying for him. That's not bad. Yeah, look, I mean, as I say, I could see the attraction, but, and I shouldn't be negative Nancy here, should I? So, but the thing is, I can also see some risk. Well, there is risk because if you split his averages of those seven games, again, it's the seven games that I've tracked him as a midfielder versus the other games where he's playing off, off halfback, there is a quite substantial gap in his scoring. Uh, through the midfield in Supercoach, I tracked him averaging at 99, but in defense, 84. Look, perfectly valuable for a draft or a daily fantasy, but probably not someone you want at that peak price coming into your salary cap. In AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, even bigger split. It was a 93 I tracked him when he played through the midfield. That's what he averaged. But in defense, it was 73. Even in drafts, that's barely rosterable. So yes, there's big, big upside here. If he plays through the midfield, if he keeps that role, he's value for money. But if for whatever reason, he moves back into defensive 50, oh boy, it could sting. Yeah, so I'm just trying to... Just give me one sec here. I'm just trying to find out why he missed round 17. Do you know off the top of your head? Not off the top of your head, but you can do that. But I can tell you the big reason for why he moved into the midfield role um, was because Ken Hinckley recognised that in his midfield group, they really lacked a player that had two specific qualities. A guy that was really strong at using the ball by foot... And that certainly is what he does. And then second, someone that was really adding some defensive pressures. And that's what he's brought to that midfield group. And I think Rids, um, that's the real key thing is, yes, he's been training with the midfield group, which, you know, is quite common for players, whether it be to build up their aerobic capacity, to learn running patterns, you know, various reasons um, coaching staff does that. But I, I suppose that's the key thing is, if you look at the Port defensive group and you look at the Port midfield group, I feel more comfortable that he's likely to play through the midfield. What's your read on how it could play out for Dan Houston at Port Adelaide? Okay, so I did find the reason. He was a late out due to illness in round 17. Nothing to worry about then. No, 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 not at all. And so round 18, okay, Ryan Burton was out of the team as well for Mm. a few weeks. So you may very well find that that's why he went back you know, until later in the year when the finals were out of reach yeah. and Burton came back in round 22. So I'm tending to agree with you a little bit. I think it might actually be the fact that if he's training, and this is, I, I'm not aware of this, but if he's training with the midfield group, okay, through the preseason now, yeah. I actually think that's where they're intending to play him. But, and this is where the big but is, one injury, it looks like his role changes straight away. Well, that's right. So, uh, Ryan Burton or... Uh, Bonner. I'm just trying to think. Um, Burn Jones, uh, Hartley. Yeah, Burn Jones. Someone like that misses, 
it's very, very, very likely that Dan Houston then becomes that back again. Yeah, you look at that kind of who how I would forecast the Port Adelaide defensive six to look like: Burn Jones, Hartlett, Burton, Bonner's probably in and around the markets. Jonas and Cleary taking those key defensive posts. Um, look, should injury strike, they do have Garner, Mays, and Leanett, um, that have all shown something at AFL level a- a- across half back. But again, you're you're right. Mid game or even late changes. He's the one that they're going to probably, especially if it was a Hartlett, DBJ, or a Burton, that he can move back in there because he is good with that defensive pressure, great user of the ball, and really clean with his hands overhead as well. So he's a, he's a really nice package for them inside the midfield group and also in defensive line. But that midfield group for Port, look, it's not lacking d- drastically, but Boak, Wines, Rockcliffe, and Powell Pepper are all very same-ish. Um, Robbie Gray, they they love him in the midfield, but they want him playing forward. And same with Connor Rosie. He'll be eventually a star in the midfield, but they want him up forward to kick a score too. So I feel like they're a little thinner in that midfield grouping. But as you've said, if injuries come, we could see him move role really quickly. Yeah, so the interesting thing about Port Adelaide is I do actually think that they're going to inject a little bit of youth going through the midfield. Yeah. So I think guys like Butters, Rosie, as you mentioned before, Dersma will definitely play more. I just don't see, and I mean, we've been saying this for a few years now, okay, but we've been more pointing at a Tom Rockliffe type. We just don't know how that fits. And we know that when Wines and Rockliffe are in the same midfield, they're just too slow. So I I don't know where the Powell Peppers and everyone fit into this, okay? So there's a lot of unknowns here. But I do think Houston could very well start in the midfield. So, But the thing is, how long will it be before he gets moved, before the role changes, before there's a bit of pressure, before they inject another kid into the game? Like, we know that Mead, they um, got Mead through the preseason yep. draft, um, and then he's been going well, apparently, over there. So, so are they going to, you know, stick to the tried and true with the Rockcliffs, the Greys, the the Wines, and so on and so forth? Or are they going to try and reinvent that midfield with a bit of youth with, and try to inject a bit of pace through it? Well, they've gone so, and picked up a Bergman as well through the AFL draft who adds a little bit of that too. 100%. So, and this is what I was thinking about. By getting a Bergman in, like there's every chance that a Rosie could get increased midfield minutes. Yep. Like, so a Butters will definitely get increased midfield minutes. Dersma's already proven himself on a wing, pretty much. So he's only going to improve. So I am just a little bit hesitant selecting anyone from Port Adelaide at this stage. <laughs> Based on, there's a lot of uncertainty there. I'd want to see a few pre-season games. Well, I think but so. But again, we've said this before, haven't we? This is what this is all about, is yeah. to start that discussion. So Houston, if he gets that role, he has to be on everyone's watch list. Absolutely. Surely. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it really is that classic case of, at this point in the preseason, risk versus a reward. The risk is that, at his price point... He must break out and push into, you know, into the mid nineties to make the selection pay off. Without it, you're stuck with a defender who, look, he'll be 
okay, but that's actually worse. If he was getting 50s, it'd be easy to trade him out. But based on his average, he probably won't be at that high priority trade out. It's like, oh, I'll just keep him. He's not burning. He's not destroying me, but he, but you'll be losing 20 points a game off that position um, to be able to prioritize the sideways trade. I, I suppose the reward is if he does play midfield, he'll be a premium in our backline and you'll get him at a fraction of the price. That is the risk versus reward with Dan Houston. Yeah, there was 10 games in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, okay, where he scored under 80. Yeah. So if you're going up against someone, let's just say someone around that price tag, okay, um, and I'll just have a quick look in um, Dream Team for Six you. Six games sub 80 in um, Supercoach too, by the way, while we give you some chance to kind of figure that out. Yeah, so like, let's just say hypothetically we're looking at a Witherden or a Blakely who are $40,000 cheaper in Dream Team. Yeah. Like, and they get on one of those roles where they can, you know, go 90, 100, 100 plus like they do. That's a lot of points to be given up. And it it's wrong. not a bad selection. It's just the fact that something's changed with the role that he was intended to have mm. and he goes back in the back. That's a lot of points you drop in each week. That is, There is plenty of reward there for those that are prepared to risk it, but there is also plenty of big flags uh, in that selection. As you said uh, minutes ago, that Marsh series role is going to be crucial to watch. Not just that he plays it, who's missing from the Port team will be critical in your analysis of it as well. But if he retains that midfield role, he could be a very popular starting squad option for people. So the fact of the matter is, okay, those last four or five games of the year where he increased his average yeah. has actually made him very awkwardly priced to start <laughs> yeah. with. Yeah. So whilst it's great to see him getting those midfield minutes, if you had a sneaky feeling that he was going to start midfield this year, the last thing you wanted was him to end last year in the midfield role because all that's done is in heightened... Um, um, made him like more attractive to everyone else, and yeah. he's been put on the radar by that finish to last year. Yeah, it's very, very true. It's going to be fascinating to see how he goes. He's certainly for me on the watch list at the moment. He's not a starter in any format just yet, but that could all change based on the March on the March series that gets underway in the middle of February. So- for me, MJ, and I know you hate me doing this, yes. I've put a line through yes. him. I'm not going to start him. Good. I love it when someone's definitive and not on the fence like me in the preseason. That's a bit of fun. Let's talk draft then. Um, I actually quite like the potential of him in, in drafts this year because, as we've said, look, if things go right, he could end up being your D1 scorer for the year. Um, he also could you know, score you something that's not rosterable in some of the formats. But, look, given there's some pretty strong preseason hype around him, when your draft happens, could determine just how early he goes. I don't mind drafting him as around that D3 marker, though, to be honest. And maybe I'll have missed him by then, Rids. But I don't mind picking him as that D3 selection and hoping I get the value of a D2 or a D1. But look, some might, you might have to pick him up at D2 with your second defensive line if you're really desperate to get him. I wouldn't go early. Yeah, and no, I'm okay. not keen on an early, early one. I think there's enough around that price tag, like that average tag for this year where he finished last year, that there's enough there to warrant not jumping early. So I think D2, D3 is around the mark, but a late D2 or an early D3 at the best, if yeah. that makes sense. No, it so totally does. It's hard to, 
it's hard to give a pick because we just don't know where they're gonna, you know, how the drafts play out, and they're all totally different. Totally. But the thing is, if he's still around, okay, and you're quite content, and you've got quite a few mids, and you've got your forwards, and you know what you're doing with your rucks, and you've already got your number one defender, there's yeah. no reason not to grab him. Yeah, if you've stacked some of the other lines and, you, and you're not, you know, I don't mind running thin in the defensive line um, and, and jumping him as a, a D2 if I'm stacked in some of the other lines. I don't mind that call. See, uh, the only thing with the um, drafts this year is you can get someone like a Nick Floston or a Nick Hayne yeah. for, not, like, for not many points extra. They're absolutely guaranteed to play the same roles as they did last year. And on top of that, okay, they're going to be a much later pick than what a Dan Houston's going to be. Yeah, no. Especially... So it's just tying that up, yeah. Yeah, it's all about that, isn't it, mate? I appreciate your thoughts uh, as we've talked about uh, yet another uh, of the 50 most relevant players as we do the countdown so far in 2020. Appreciate you, man. Easy as. Uh, if you want to go and check out the article, it's online for you now at coachespanel.tv. You can also get all the links there to join our Patreon. A big thank you to Craig Dunlop. He has just recently joined the Patreon army, and he's getting early access uh, and a heap of other exclusive content. Yep, he's 24 hours ahead of you, my friend, as are another um, members of the Patreon. You can get involved there. The link's at coachespanel.tv. Number 47, Lands tomorrow, and it's a big, big name, but just who is it? <laughs> 